Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Today we will be going up to the Salt and Light attic and bringing down some of our favorite conversations. At the end of November, I was in Venezuela at the Missionary Congress of the Americas and I had the chance to speak with many people. One of them was Maureen Heil of the Pontifical Mission Societies of Boston. We'll begin our program there. We will then meet new singer-songwriter Joe Morales. In our second half hour, Tony Ryan of Ignatius Press will tell us all about the new film, Mary of Nazareth, and we end the program by speaking with Sister Mary David of the Dominican Sisters of Mary, Mother of the Eucharist, about their first album, Mother Eucharistie. So, that's all coming up, and we begin now with the Pontifical Mission Societies. Remember, I was in Maracaibo, Venezuela, at the Missionary Congress of the Americas. Now, it might seem obvious that most of the people that are here are missionaries or people involved with mission, but we also have some people that are involved with one of the four or the four pontifical mission societies. And I'm sure most of you maybe have no clue what that is, haven't heard the term pontifical mission societies. So I'm here now with Maureen Heil from Boston. And uh, Maureen, what do you do? I'm the Director of Programs and Development for the Pontifical Mission Societies in Boston. Okay, so Pontifical Mission Societies, what, what is that? Well, there are four societies. Probably the most well-known is the Propagation of the Faith, and that's responsible for the build-up of the Church in mission areas, 1,150 mission dioceses in Asia, Africa, uh, remote areas of, of Latin America, South America, and in the Pacific Islands. and. Um, the, probably the second best known is what we call in the United States missionary childhood. That's the children's version. Right. So we animate children. We educate them about their missionary vocation from their baptism. We ask them to be missionaries to each other. So, mm-hmm. you know, how can you be a missionary to the person around the world if you can't care about the person at the desk right. next to you or even your brothers and sisters and your parents? Um, the lesser known ones are the Society of St. Peter Apostle. Yeah. We uh, raise funds and awareness about the need for a local clergy in the missions. So we support seminaries and novitiates for brothers and sisters, giving scholarships to men and women who want to say yes to a religious vocation in the missions, but because of their poverty cannot. Mm-hmm. The fourth society is our only non-fundraising society. It's a spiritual apostolate called the Missionary Union of Religious and Priests. And we put out books and pamphlets. The one that comes from Rome uh-huh. is called Omnis Terra. And um, it's a, a missiological society, encouraging people to pray for the spread of the, the gospel. So I always say that when I'm doing an appeal or an animation talk, that if, I, if I've done my job well, you actually will end up belonging to two of the societies because right. you'll be supporting us with your with your good works and your funds, but you'll also be praying for the spread of the gospel. Right. So you work for the Archdiocese of Boston? You don't? No, we're actually a separate entity. So uh, because we're pontifical, we serve at the behest of whoever the local ordinary is in a specific diocese, but we report directly through the Congregation of Evangelization of Peoples in Rome to the Holy Father. That's why we're their pontifical mission societies. So while we serve in Boston for Cardinal Sean, in every other diocese in the United States, they serve their local ordinary, but the pontifical part of it is that we serve through the congregation to the Holy Father. 
Now, before you went to work in Boston, you were also part of the National Advisory Board. Correct me if I'm wrong, but explain what that was, what, what, the, what that work was. Sure. Um, I was actually part then of the Diocese of Allentown, Pennsylvania, and was asked to be on the National Board of Directors. And that's an advisory board to our national director who's in New York City. Um, so our national office exists there. He's got a, a full staff of people helping him uh, to come up with the programs that's going to educate and animate all the people of the United States. But then he chooses people from the different dioceses around the country to represent, uh, you know, the United States is so large. So what works in Boston doesn't necessarily work in Allentown yes. or Miami or Los Angeles. Um, so he brings together people from different offices to advise and sets up different committees of finances and development and education. And I was privileged for seven years to be on that board. Right. Um, so as program director, what do you do? <laughs> I, I do everything except empty <laughs> the wastebaskets, I think, sometimes. Uh, I do mission appeals in parishes for the propagation of the faith. Uh, I do all the animation and um, program writing for missionary childhood, visiting the schools and the parishes, and that's my favorite part of the job, uh -huh. is talking to kids about the missions. Uh, I'm privileged to travel to the missions to c meet people, um, visit some of our donor sites, and collect the stories, the pictures, the videos, to help our donors better understand where their prayers and sacrifices are really making a difference in the world. Right. Um, I help to administrate all the fundraising programs, writing appeals, mail appeals, our, our website, our Facebook page, the social media. So yeah, it's a busy job. It's a busy job. So you're, in a sense, promoting missions, not just, just because that doesn't mean that people, that you're telling people that they need to go be missionaries. So what does it mean that you promote or that we should promote missions or a missionary attitude in the United States or in Canada? Mm -hmm. Well, I would say that um, I am in a way promoting the idea of people being missionaries, especially with the children. Uh -huh. um, the idea of having a missionary identity, being mission-minded from the time that they're small children, hopefully it will encourage people to say yes to God later in their lives, if from the children on up, that they will listen and pray better from the time that they're small to form them. There's a great part of missionary childhood, and we see it here, the mm -hmm. Infancia Misionero and then the, the Jovenes Misionero, yeah. that those are the kids that are formed in the programs early on here to be um, set as the examples to mm -hmm. others, to, to their peers, of how to live their faith. I think sometimes we, in, in um, our Western societies, get caught up in the idea of a missionary being some religious adult that goes out into, you know, goes across a border and learns a new language. And I think we need to flip that on its side and understand that we are all missionaries mm -hmm. if we are living our Christian faith so that the world can see it. Right. And if we form our children in that way and continue that formation through their school time, I think we will see an increase in vocations to every part of our faith life, whether it be religious or the married life or even consecrated and single life. But people living their faith and bringing it into the public forum, that's going to change our world and promote 
that missionary aspect that we've been hearing so much about here, the dynamism yeah. of taking our faith out into the public forum. Right. That's what mission really is. It's not just you know a priest or a sister going to preach the gospel for the first time. Evangelization is uh, so much deeper and broader than just that one aspect of it. Yeah. I love the motto here, uh, Missionary America, share, share your, your faith. faith. And it's so simple, but you're right, especially in North America, we forget that we need to share our faith. Would you say that that's the biggest challenge that you face in the United States? I do think that's a challenge. I think we've become um, very parochial in our view of our faith, that as long as we show up on Sunday morning and um, maybe we sit on a committee in our parish and, and so we do something like that, that's, that's the extent of our faith, instead of going outside of our borders. And maybe that means our parish borders, maybe it means even outside of our own diocese or archdiocese. Most certainly it can mean beyond our country's borders, but there are needs to be served um, with a missionary Christian spirit that takes some of the, the work that's being done out of the realm of just social work or yeah. doing a, a good deed, it then becomes mission if you're doing it from a sense of, I do this because Christ sends yes, me exactly. to do it. Yeah, there's a missional attitude, and I love, I mean, the Holy Father keeps saying, oh. open the, the church doors have to be open so that we can go out. Isn't he brilliant? We're not, we're not, yes. we're not a customs agent. We don't get to say who comes in and who goes out. And yes. the, oh, I love that quote from him. He's so yes. rich and deep with what he's saying. Yes. And we're hearing it quoted over and over here that we need to be a servant church. And I think that if, if we can get that idea across in the States and in Canada, our pews will start to fill again. I really do believe that. I, I think that the missionary aspect of our church is what's going to bring us all back together into community. Amen. Maybe one last question, because I know you've been to other uh, missionary congresses, and I mean, this is your work. Is there one thing that, that maybe has stood out for you here that you heard, that you learned, that, that, you, that made you think about something anew? What is that one thing? The one thing that stands out when I come to the Mission Congresses is the youth. The youth that I see here. The, the commitment of the youth to their faith. And I think that, um, that sometimes we feel in the States and maybe in Canada that we have it all because we have all the stuff. We have the gizmos and the gadgets and the things and we're so busy and we, we think we're accomplishing things. And you come to a place where, let's face it, they're rationing food and yeah. their currency is in free fall and, and, and it's crazy here. And yet their youth are so on fire yes. for their faith. I think that we could steal a page from their book and learn great things. Yeah, absolutely, which is why you probably keep going back to that missionary childhood and the missionary youth that maybe that's where we need to put our efforts. Yes. Maureen Heil, it's been great speaking to you. It's been great meeting you and I'm sure we'll see each other some more. Uh, thank you for being on the program. Thank you so much. I've appreciated your time. Here now is our featured artist of the week, Joe Morales, with You're Still Alive. In this life, you've got one chance to make it right. You better not run. And hide Give up the demons Don't quit tonight In this life 
You're the apple of someone's eye. Smile that made it all right. You've got plenty to live for. Don't quit tonight. Cause you never know who might need you. You never know why you're there. Coincidence? I don't think so. You're more than a sprinkle of dust in the air. More than a smile and frown that you wear. More than the car that you drive. Songs that you write, Harry gets passing you by. You're still alive. In this life, you might give up on so many dreams, fall to the floor and scream. For forgiveness, you won't be denied. 'Cause you never know who might need you. You never know why you're there. Coincidence? I don't think so. More than a sprinkle of dust in the air. More than a smile. Frown that you wear, more than the car that you drive, the songs that you write. Harry is passing you by. You're still alive. Got one chance to make it right. Better not run and hide. Give up the demons. That was Joe Morales with "You're Still Alive." Recently, Salt and Light Radio heard from a young singer-songwriter from Pennsylvania, and we love meeting new Catholic artists. Joe sent us his latest album, "Under the Sun," which we we've been listening some songs from. And uh, we started playing it on Salt and Light Radio immediately. Joe's songs are thought-provoking, they're memorable, they're heartfelt, and this new album deals with topics such as loss, mercy, and redemption. And the music is very much rooted in his Catholic faith. And this is very apparent not just in the recordings, but also if you go to any of his live performances. And so I'm very pleased to welcome Joe Morales uh, to our program. Uh, Joe, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Hi, Deacon Pedro. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. It's good to have you on the show. Finally, we've been talking for a couple months now. I think. Um, what was it? Uh, what was what was it like growing up in the Morales household? Um, well, I come from a family of five children. I'm the middle of five children. Um, you know, raised with the faith, obviously in the Catholic Church. Um, always some activity going on. Um, you know, I'm one of the my family probably the most musically inclined, but everyone uh-huh. probably could sing and, um, you know, at least were involved in music in some respect. So, yeah, I mean, like I said, five children, Catholic household, 
So that pretty much sums it up. So your Catholic faith, of course, you learned that at home, and and the music. So it was a very musical household, would you say? Um, I'd say a few of us played instruments, um, but I think uh, myself, I grew up as a drummer. I played drummer. My parents okay. tolerated a lot of my bands <laughs> in the basement uh, <laughs> as a young guy, um, and then I kind of blossomed out of playing drums in bands and, and worked into a kind of writing my own material. Uh-huh. Um, I played secular clubs for many years um, with various bands, um, but I wouldn't say until about seven years ago um, I realized that, you know, I'm playing all these nightclubs and writing all these songs, and I didn't feel the fulfillment from the songs and playing these nightclubs. Right. And I kind of felt God pulling me and calling me and saying, hey, you know, Joe, um, I'd like to see you, or, you know, you have a calling possibly for, you know, a music minister, at least to start to write songs that are more spiritually based and have more of a focus on God. Okay, but but your faith, were you strong in your faith, or did you go through, through a period there where your faith was sort of... Um, not super strong, or you were doubting. Or oh, you left absolutely! The church. Yeah, not yeah. super strong. Um, I'd say through my twenties, and you know, um, into various bands that I was playing, and that was part of the reason why. And I'd be driving home two or three in the morning from playing a nightclub, and I realized, you know, something's missing in my life. You know, so, what is it? I grew up with a Catholic faith um, as a Christian, but you know, I kind of strayed away from it, and and I feel, you know, felt God calling me back to to write songs and to you know, kind of lead in his direction. And when you were growing up Catholic, did you not ever play at church or do any music uh, with the church? Not really. Not really. Um, I, I, I think it was more of a rebellious, um, although yeah. I was Catholic, I felt re- somewhat rebellious. Um, uh-huh. And I think it wasn't until in a few years ago that I really you know, came back and I'd say and accepted my, my Catholic faith and, when you and really s- right. pursued it. Okay, so yeah, and I want to get to that. But so, when you were playing nightclubs and stuff, you were you were a drummer, or you were playing other instruments by then? Um, both. I was a drummer and playing guitar and singing. And were you songwriting? Uh, yeah, I was. But my my music wasn't spiritual. It wasn't you know Christian. I'd say more secular. Right. Um, when did you start so, writing songs? Um, I started writing songs uh, in my early you know late twenties, early twenties. Okay. okay. And so, so would you say that there was a moment where 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 things changed, or was it more of a gradual change that you felt this pull uh, that you were not satisfied, and you felt the pull towards a more faith to sort of strengthen your faith? Um, absolutely, I was working on a solo record. Um, I guess back in two thousand and one, and I had written some songs that you know, like titles like "Anything Is Possible." Um, Mm-hmm. And it's a song about, you know, that anything was possible in life, that, you know, you go through situations and challenges and that you can come through them. And I started to realize that I'm starting to write more positive songs. Uh-huh. And someone said to me that, you know, anything is possible sounds almost like a Christian song. Huh. Sounds almost like it's spiritually based. And, and I started, started to think about it. So I would say it was a gradual process. But, you know, that was around the time that I started writing songs and realizing, hey, there's something here that, um you know, that I have, you know, a strength for or, or a willingness to do. So, so, but what was happening in ter- in your interior spiritual life in terms of being drawn back to the church? Or I think that I, like I said before, I was playing secular nightclubs. There was an emptiness, um, a lack of fulfillment. Um, but was and there even, a... you know, we had our, our first child, my wife and I, okay. um, around this time. Right. And I think that with her baptism and her communion, I think that it re- I realized that, you know. Uh, there was something missing in my life. 
uh, right, my so, first but, daughter. So I think that's kind of what drew me back into my faith. Okay, but it, but it so it's not like you were antagonistic to the faith or anything like that. You just it was just wasn't a priority in your life. Exactly. Um, okay, yeah, that that's interesting. It happens to a lot of people. As a deacon, I, I love doing baptisms, and you know, it's like you 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 you, you they get married and then you don't see them. <laughs> until they want to <laughs> baptize their child and then at that time they start thinking you know and then you start seeing them a little more sometimes yeah um interesting now now uh, so would you say that something changing even in your songwriting uh, that's more than just the things you were writing about how do you go about to write a song is it a, is it a prayerful experience for you or well normally um you know as as a songwriter and as many probably experience um you have ideas that are kind of sitting around and then eventually become songs. But for me, um, there's topics that, that I, I think of, and I think of like John 13, 34, when I was thinking of my song, Under the Sun, you know, uh-huh. and God said, love one another as I have loved you. Um, so I thought, you know, the topic, love, and I thought, God, you know, calls us to love one another. And so that's, you know, I think spiritually and biblically, you know, um, topics kind of just come to me. And, and this was one that, you know, kind of sat on my heart for a long time. You know, how do I write a song telling folks to, to trust God and to um, to love one another? And, um, you know, let God be God right. and let His will be done. Right. Um, and that's kind of what the song Under the Sun is about. Uh-huh. Um, and, and that's similar to that of the song Daylight that I had written as well. Right. Um, very similar. It's about a new beginnings. Um, that song talks about starting over, um, you know, capturing your faith and and growing in your faith and, and learning from your past experiences. Yeah, that's right. Day, daylight we heard at the beginning of the show, uh, and, and I'm going to play Under the Sun when we're done here. But um, but these are not songs that you'd say. I mean, they're not like songs that you can sing at church. They're songs that people can listen to on the radio or listen to the yep. CD in the car. So would you say that, do you still see what you do as ministry? Um, I certainly do. Um, you know, I, I have opportunities to play secular venues, um, where I think when people hear my songs, um, they're touched spiritually. Um, just like you heard at the top of the show, yeah. um, my song, You're Still Alive, yes. um, was about a, so- a friend of mine that had passed away and it um, at a very young age, and it gave me the opportunity to evaluate my own life and say, hey, you know, you have this opportunity to live a faith-filled life. Um, this is your chance. Um, seize that moment. Carpe diem. Um, that type of thing. Right. Um, so... Certainly, I think I have the chance to minister to people, especially in these coffee houses and secular venues. Yeah, no, that's a great that's a great gift because you, you know if you have the opportunity to be playing at a secular venue and where people are going just to have a drink or whatever, and right. and they can hear your music rather than sort of being segregated to a place where only Christians or Catholics or whoever are looking for a specific type of music. I think that's a great. Uh, a great opportunity but it's also a big responsibility <laughs> i mean that talk about the new evangelization do you see yourself as a christian artist then like if you were to be labeled um you know i i don't all the time like i of course am a christian who follows jesus christ and a catholic um putting labels on myself it's a difficult thing um because i want people to feel god's love and not just say okay, here's another Christian artist or a Catholic artist. Um, I know what they're going to talk about um, when right. they sing or that what the topic is. I want them to experience God's fullness um, in in my performance or my show um, without any pretenses, um, right. without knowing, hey, you know, 
I know what I'm going to get in this performance, you know? Right. Okay. Um, so I think that that comes through in the songs. Uh-huh. Um, and I think that's what works. Definitely. Now, so so Under the Sun is your second album, correct? Your second? Yes, yeah. Uh, yeah. Second album as a, yeah, say, as a Christian. Christian. Yeah, as a Christian. A spiritual artist. So anything I, else coming down the pipes? Right. Actually, yeah. I'm uh, in the process of working on some new songs now. I've got six new songs written. Um, been working with a, a Christian um, artist down in Nashville, mm-hmm. um, a guy named Paul Coleman from the Paul Coleman Trio. Yeah. Uh, they were a pretty big Christian band, I'd say, in the um, in the early you know 2000, late 90s. Uh, so I've been writing some songs with him. So I'm oh, hoping to, to put out some new material good, cause real soon. Because w- the song we just heard, You're Still Alive, that's not from Under the Sun, right? That's a, a that's single. from my last record, oh, Where I first Am, one. Yeah. Um, which I would say is really my first uh, venture into you know full Christian experience record. Okay, good. So there's people can look forward to, to, to hearing more about you soon. Coming Absolutely. soon, okay, Joe. That's all the time we have, but it's been it's been really good meeting you and uh, and getting to know you today, and and hearing your music. Definitely, we love playing it on Salt and Light Radio. Well, I appreciate it greatly. You can learn all about Joe Morales and how to purchase his music at his website, joemorales.com. And I'm going to put that link on our site so people can find it easily. But just note, it's Morales, M-I-R-A-L-L-E-S, Morales. Um, um, he's also on Twitter and, uh, and on Facebook, so look him up. Here now is Joe Morales with the title song from his new album, Under the Sun. You light up the darkness I'm never gonna question why it to myself why should I all my pain is gone I'm never gonna question why can't keep it to myself myself and I gotta spread the love under I'm never gonna question why Couldn't keep it to myself Myself and I When we lose our way I'm never gonna question why Couldn't keep it to myself Why even try Gotta spread the love under the sun when they
gotta spread the love under the sun. When they start to hate, you will be dumb. No man knows when the hour it comes. When they Hello and welcome to the Salt and Light Hour Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. Many films have followed in the wake of the success of The Passion of the Christ, with varying levels of success. Most notably, probably, are The Nativity Story, which enjoyed a wide theater release, and the Bible miniseries that aired on the History Channel. Now, there is a new film made for TV in Europe, but it's been shown in private screenings in theaters and auditoriums all over North America. Mary of Nazareth. It is a major production produced by the same European studios that brought us Restless Heart, The Confessions of St. Augustine, or The Confessions of Augustine, and Padre Pio, Miracle Man. And to tell us all about it, I am now joined by Tony Ryan, Director of Sales and Marketing for Ignatius Press. Tony, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Deacon, uh, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. So why make a film on the life of Mary? Well, um, you know mainly because, uh, you know, she's probably the most important woman in history, at least from a Catholic <laughs> perspective. Yeah. And uh, also, there really hasn't been one. Uh, no. You know, there's not really been a feature film on her life that focuses on her. Okay. And, of course, when you focus on her, you focus on Jesus Christ, which is what she right. focused on. Right. So that so was good. So I was going to say, because is this not just another telling of the, of the Jesus Christ story, just with a, a, a slant? Or would you say that... Uh, that's a good different. question, and uh, I would say the answer is uh, no, it's not. It's really the life of the Blessed Virgin Mary, but of course you can't tell her story without, uh, without Christ being intimately involved. So it begins right. with her when she's a little girl. Yes. And, uh, you know, goes all the way through her life as a uh, younger woman, mm-hmm. and all through the uh, stories that we're more familiar with up through the resurrection of Christ. So right. it really is the story of Mary of Nazareth. Uh-huh. Uh, but again, of course, you can't separate her life from the life of Christ. No, it's true. You, it, it begins with her as, as a little girl. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the cast and the crew, because I think Alyssa Young, who plays Mary, is she's beautiful and she's great in the film. So how did uh, tell us a little bit about who the crew is, the cast, who are the people behind this film? Sure. Yeah, this film was shot in, in uh, Europe, like a lot of these films that we license. Right. And... Um, it was made by a lot of the... So what they do in Europe is oftentimes studios will work together. Uh, mm-hmm. And so this was like six studios in Europe that made this film together, which I, I really like that approach because I think it brings a lot more to the table. Right. Um, and it was shot, um, you know, in Tunisia, so it has a very authentic biblical look to it. Yeah. It was made... It was shot in English, which, of course, had a, a major appeal to us in terms of putting it out in movie theaters. Yes. Uh, has an international cast. The director is a well-known uh, Italian director named Giacomo Campiotti, who <coughs> did, did a few films that we sell. One on Saint Bacchita, called From yes. Slave to Saint, beautiful film. He did one on Saint Giuseppe Muscati. Yes. Did one on a new version of Doctor Shivago. Very Chivago, accomplished yeah. director. Very passionate uh-huh. man who's also a Catholic. Okay. So the cast. Um, 
and so Giacomo, we interviewed him uh, before we released this film and uh, got a lot of insights on the film, which I'm happy to talk about today in yeah. terms of the source material and all that. But the cast, uh, as you mentioned, Alyssa Young, I think, really carries the film, and obviously she was the crucial She's role brilliant. for this film. Yeah. And Giacomo told us that he... Uh, did a lot of uh, interviews and tests of actresses all over the uh, Europe for this role, um, and uh, you know, she actually. Uh, this is an interesting story. I'll tell it quickly because I don't have a lot of time. But yeah. how she got this role, I think she was picked by God. And the reason I say <laughs> that is he had a lot of uh, ladies from different countries actually that he tested, and he a- actually settled on one from France that he thought and the crew thought was the right, just the right actress. Uh, Alyssa Young, who's from Germany, was contacted by her agent to do a. Uh, uh, a test for this role, but she was getting ready to go to Haiti. She has a nonprofit organization. She started for the poorest children in Haiti to build schools for them. So she was just getting ready to get on a plane to go to Haiti to, for her nonprofit to work on it. She said, I can't go to Rome. I can't go to Rome for this uh, film test because screen test because I'm getting ready. She said, well, then do something by computer. you got to do something. I, I think you yeah. can win this role. Her agent's all excited. She says, well, what, what, I can't do it by computer in Haiti. She says, no, do it from your home before you leave. So Alyssa said, well, okay, I'll do something. So she got the script by email and did some lines and, and emailed it. It did it on her computer in her kitchen, emailed it to the agency in, in uh, Italy, got in a plane, went to Haiti, and took care of the poor children there. Apparently the director saw something in her, this very simple uh, video that she made on her kitchen table before she flew to Haiti, that he saw something in her uh, that said, wait a second, there's something about this woman that i got to, there's something about her. And he wow. waited till she got back from Haiti, had her come to Rome. She did the screen test, and she got the role. And I said to Alyssa, you know what? God blessed you for your commitment to those kids in Haiti. And, and mm-hmm. the director saw something in you that had real depth and wasn't just your physical beauty or your talent as an actress. Right. Um, how does Ignatius Press... So you mentioned that So you're licensing and distributing the film, but I know that you've also had... The, the film was already done in a longer format, and how did, how did that process work? Well, exactly. So this film in its original length was 200 minutes. Uh-huh. And once we deter- determined that we wanted to do something more than just a uh, standard DVD release, we wanted to do it uh, where we could show it in the big screen in movie theaters and work with people to do that. It had right. to be edited down. That's just too long. Okay. Uh, there are also some scenes in this film that we would have edited out anyways uh, because okay. uh, there are some scenes in there that are um, lurid and, um, you know, uh, the deal with... Um, things that do have to do with Mary Magdalene and so forth. So, right. uh, so for those reasons, we edited the film down. And I know that uh, some people think that uh, you know they can see this film on Netflix, uh, and they can't. The one that's on Netflix is the original 200-minute version, version uh, and, and it's we edited it down. It's really a significantly different film, much better film in our opinion. Um, and uh, so that's why we did that. So would you say that you you uh, had to edit it down mainly for so they could have a North American theater release, or because you had to make it more Catholic or more appropriate with Ignatius Press brand? Both. I would say one over the other. We did it for both reasons. Okay, I see. Now, um, if we can talk a little bit about some of the choices that were made in terms of the film, because I, I thought, I mean, you mentioned Mary Magdalene, and, and there's a very she's played by um, uh, Paz Vega. Uh, very uh, specific choices that were made about the role of Mary Magdalene, very specific choices that were made about the role of Herodias. So it's there's these three women, Mary, Mary Magdalene, and Herodias, that are prominent in the film. Uh, do you have any insights as to what why those choices were made? I mean, Herodias sure. has a very Absolutely, in, in yeah. script I very small. Do. I talked yeah. to the director about that. Yeah, so please. his idea was to tell this story really through... Uh, the stories of those three women, uh-huh. because they all contrast with each other. And uh, 
So let's just talk about them. Obviously, Our Lady is, is, is her story. Uh, Mary Magdalene, um, you know, once she wanted, they wanted her to be a, have a main role because of her, um, you know, her, her, her own personal story of conversion, yeah. and how she was the opposite of really of the Blessed Virgin in terms of Mary represented purity, Magdalene was the opposite. Right. Uh, and so that whole journey of Mary Magdalene, and, uh, you know, uh, perhaps uh, she had some impact on her by Mary, at least this film tries to imply that to some degree that our Blessed Mother had an impact on the Magdalene and her own uh, change. Right. Uh, and so then, uh, and then Herodias, uh, you know, really is, um, is a kind of a made-up character. I mean, let's just be yeah, honest about is. it. Uh, and, but it's, it's uh, you know, I think it's artistic license uh, that's, um, I, I can see why they did it. So Herodias is really a person that personifies evil. Uh-huh. She personifies, really, you could say almost Satan. She's well, kind of yeah, a, she a, does. A, a satanic figure in this story. Yeah, John the Baptist calls her Devil Woman. Devil I mean, Woman, specific, yeah. yeah. And so she's a composite, made-up character to some degree. I mean, we know there was a Herodias, but what yes. they try to do with her is um, she represents, um, you know, Satan in a way. So she has these uh, kind of these powers where she can kind of, she's, uh, first of all, she doesn't age, she, so you'll see her. She doesn't age, yeah and, yeah, and she does have, like, super evil powers, yes. <laughs> yeah, and so she is a kind of, she's a, she's a uh, satanic figure. I mean, that's just what you have to call her. And she is the one that, you know, as we know, uh, was the, uh, uh, the, the wife who caused uh, John the Baptist to lose his head. So, right. I mean, you know, there is that connection in the, in the r- real story, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, but so what they tried to do with her, and you know, some people think it was over the top and all that, but I see why they did it. And to me, I think it's kind of works. And I, I thought she was, uh, you know, the woman I thought was a good actress, uh, Antonio Liskova, who played her. Yes. Uh, and they, that's what she does. She represents Satan. And so early on in the film, you'll see her, and I don't want to give away the story, but... Uh, yes, uh, yeah. You know, trying to uh, find... Uh, find... You know, the, who, the woman who will bring this Messiah into the world and try to snuff that out. Uh, yeah. Now, uh, you mentioned earlier that it's a feature film as opposed to a made-for-TV film, which is what I had heard or understood originally. And I know that Ignatius Press, you're, it's mainly being released on DVD. But th- can you tell us a little bit about how people can, can watch this film? Can they buy the DVD? Well, no, so they can't. So later on, they'll be able to do that. But so what we're focusing on right now is uh, just being, getting it out into movie theaters. And this is something new that we're doing. Uh-huh. Uh, we did it, first of all, with the film Restless Heart. Yes. The film on St. Augustine. Yeah. Once in a while, uh, when we come across a film that is, uh, we think is really well done and um, is uh, shot in English, and it's an important story, we're going to try to do this. So we've got our second film. Now, Augustine was great. I don't know if you saw that or not. No, I didn't get a chance to see it. But you, it, have, but to, it, you yeah. have to check that film out. It's yes. a great story on St. Augustine. Yes, we, we, I have heard so a lot we about got, it. We got bold, and we did this what's called theatrical-sponsored release. In other mm-hmm. words, we're not a movie studio. We can't put a movie in the theaters in the traditional way. Yeah. And we certainly couldn't afford to do that. Even you know, So we came up with this approach to work with groups, uh, parishes, schools, Catholic organizations, Protestants, anybody. Mm-hmm. who wants to uh, have a showing in their local movie theater, not in their parish hall. And right. then, you know, we'll get them the film, they'll rent the theater, all the ticket sales they keep, so it can become a fundraiser. So it's kind of a three-pronged approach. Uh, you know, you have a movie event, which can be inspiring, moving, powerful, right, right in your local movie theater. Uh-huh. Two, it's a tool for evangelization. 
right there in the culture, the heart of the culture. You got a great, beautiful, true story about a uh, biblical character, a saint, in this case, the Blessed Virgin Mary. Three, it can be a fundraiser. Right. So that's the approach there. And uh, it's been caught on. I mean, if uh, you, we got a movie website, if people go to it, it's maryfilm.com, you'll yes. see it's, it's already showing in over 115 cities in North yeah. America. Yeah, and we've no, only had it out since October. Once people find out that they can do this, it's not hard to do. We provide all the materials. We provide the film. You just go rent your theater, take our posters and stuff, and promote it. And people want to go go to the movie to see a film like this. You know, yeah, so absolutely. it's working. Okay, so that's good. So I'm going to give people all that information when we're done here. But uh, uh, I enjoyed the film. I think it's definitely a good good film to go see, not just Christmas and Easter, but any time. Um, and looking forward to the DVD release. You think you guys are doing good work at Ignatius Press? Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. I appreciate your support. And, and uh, yeah, so people can go to the website and find out more about it. But uh, they can see the trailer and, and a lot of clips. We have actually have a lot of uh, short clips from the film as well on the website. Yes, great. Thank you very much, Tony. You're welcome. Thank you. Tony Ryan is the Director of Sales and Marketing for Ignatius Press. You can find out more about Mary of Nazareth, including all the screening listings at maryfilm.com. There are screenings all over the U.S., as Tony said, but as far as I know, there are only a few selected ones in Canada so far. And thanks to our friends at the Branches Catholic Ministries in St. Catharines, Ontario, there will be more screenings across Ontario between January and March. So I'm sure you'll hear a lot more about this film. You can learn more on Facebook. Just look for Mary of Nazareth. Um, I have a feeling we'll, we'll be hearing a lot about this film. Here now are the Dominican Sisters of Mary, Mother of the Eucharist, with Holy Mary, Mother of God, from their new album, Mother Eucharisti.
That was the Dominican Sisters of Mary, Mother of the Eucharist, with Holy Mary, Mother of God, from their new album, Mater Eucharistiae. Now, last year we heard from De Montfort Music about the Benedictine Sisters who produced two albums, Advent at Ephesus and Angels and Saints at Ephesus. Both were extremely successful, and now De Montfort Music has done it again. They have partnered with the Dominican Sisters of Mary, Mother of the Eucharist, and produced Mater Eucharistiae, a beautiful collection of sacred music dedicated to Jesus through Mary. Now, you may remember the Dominican Sisters, as we had two of them on this program last year to talk about the American Bible Challenge. But to tell us now about their new album, we are now joined by Sister Mary David. Sister, welcome to the program. Thank you. So I have to ask you, though, <laughs> how did you do it in the Bible Challenge? Because you were finalists. Yes, we were finalists. We did very well. We came in second place. Oh, beautiful. Yes. So was there a prize? Did you get any of the money or no? Yes, yes. Oh, there good. was There was a, a consolation, but a very generous consolation prize. <laughs> well, that's good because you were hoping to, to have some money for to help your sisters with their retirement, right? Um, that's right. That's right. Correct. So that's good. So so tell us about the new album. This is your first album, right? This is our first. Yes, so it why? came out um, in August. And why? Um, why? Why are we recording an album? Well, it's basically we were just saying yes to the Holy Spirit. <laughs> um, when DeMontfort Music approached us about the possibility of, of doing an album, mm-hmm. you know, they explained to us that they had, I mean, they knew they knew our community and had, had um, even been at some of our Vespers in the evening hearing us you know pray and sing and and they themselves said that they felt very evangelized by by their encounter with beautiful music and uh-huh. would we consider doing this and it wasn't something we were particularly looking for but it seems that this might be a way to to bring people or bring god to people who you know we can't see or talk to every day but but the power of music is so it's so powerful. It's the beauty that, that one encounters in, in music can really touch right. hearts yeah. and raise them to God before we even know what's happening almost. No, so, but, but music is a big part of your community life. It is. It is. Um, n- not just your prayers. Is, uh, is, uh, do you do more of music that's n- other than your um, prayers of the office During that you prayers? chant? Well, you know, our prayer life is um, central. And it takes even even if you added up the time that we spend in our prayers, it's quite a bit. So, and music is is woven into that um, right. everywhere. So, I would say that our music is you know what we sing is primarily what happens in the liturgy, um, both at mass and and in the office. But also, a lot of the sisters are just very naturally musical, and so it's very very common thing to find sisters gathered around a piano singing or pulling out the guitar right um just for fun you know so it's it's definitely everywhere you go right now how did you pick the music the particular pieces that we picked um if you go through them one by one they're Mm -hmm. all um either marian or dedicated to jesus in the eucharist okay and they were songs that we sing pretty pretty regularly um just as part of our prayer life and we thought that they this was one way we could share our life and our prayer um, with you know, our Dominican spirituality with other people. So I guess you could say they're just kind of fit us and, and um, the way that we pray, and we wanted to share that. Right, and, and it was recorded in your mother house? Yes, right in our chapel. In your chapel. Right in our chapel. And you can kind of hear that in the, uh, um, the acoustics, and it kind yeah. of sounds like echoey or far away. Right. And it's, um, it's a beautiful place to sing. Yeah, it must be. Now... Um, 
Mother of the Eucharist, that's obviously, well, the name of your congregation. Yes. I don't know if a lot of people think of Mary as Mother of the Eucharist, but, and that, I mean, clearly is also the title of the album. Yes. Mater Eucharistie. So, can you explain that to us a little bit? Sure. Um, it's, it's also, it's also the title of our little newsletter that we put out a couple oh, of yeah. times a year. So it's, it's, it's who, who we, the not name under which we really turn to Our Lady. Um, we, if you think about the Blessed Mother, you know, being the first, the first one to hold Jesus within her, you know, his body and blood, soul and divinity. Mm-hmm. You know, we, you may term, you know, Ark of the Covenant or um, Mary as the first tabernacle. Um, but she's yeah. the one that gives us our Lord. Um, in his in his body and blood, and and she continues to lead us to him in the Eucharist today. So it's um, I mean it's the way that we that we honor her and the way that we thank her, and she's so powerful and generous and gentle a mother in in bringing us to him right there. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting because a lot of people, I think even Catholics, that 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 don't quite get the devotion to Mary or honoring Mary. And it's important to remind ourselves that Mary's the one who points us always to Jesus. Mm-hmm. That it's not about Mary. So I love this idea that she's the mother of the Eucharist. That she's probably the only human being who could actually say, "This is my body." Yes. Um, and yet, and she, I mean, she holds such a special place um, mm-hmm. in heaven because of that. So that's 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 very meaningful. Yes, you know, something I once um, was brought to my attention. I, I probably wouldn't have thought of it on my own, but when you hear of the different places where Our Lady has appeared, say Fatima, Guadalupe, you know, if you go there now, the, the center of, the center of, um, or Lourdes, yeah. everything is centered around the Eucharist. You know, the yes. highlight of the day at Lourdes is the Eucharistic procession at the end of the day, right. you know, or the Eucharistic chapel um, in Guadalupe. And so she always, she always brings us to her son. Absolutely. Now, Sister, um, I don't know why you were chosen to speak to me, because maybe you're the, the spokesperson. What was your personal involvement? Were you involved in the album? Did you yeah. sing? I didn't sing. I was, I was <laughs> the person behind the scenes <laughs> okay. that helped, okay. helped make all the, all the connections for all the, between the conductor and the producers and the singers and okay. kind of connecting all the dots. So like a production manager. Yes, you could say that. Person. Very important role there because without you, nothing would have happened. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> did, so you mentioned a conductor. Did you have to bring, was it a, a, a conductor that came from outside? Yes, you know, we were really blessed. So we're right here in Ann Arbor and University of Michigan is right here. Yeah. Um, and one of um, the professors there we had connected with him. His name is Dr. Scott Piper. Uh-huh. He's actually a very talented um, singing tenor in his, in his own right, but, but he had returned to, to his alma mater here in Ann Arbor and was teaching over at, at the university. Um, and, you know, good Catholic, and we asked him if he'd come teach the sisters um, this choir this past, this past okay. year. So he was already um, helping us learn to yeah. sing, and when the project came along, we asked him if he'd if he'd help us, and he very generously agreed and worked very hard in, in a short period of time and, and got the sisters ready to record. Right, and and was the album? Did you have to bring in a producer? I mean, I know that you know contemporary recordings have producers. Yes, yes. yes. Um, we brought in um, Blanton Alspa and um, John, his his partner John. They. Uh-huh. Um, are Grammy Award winners, and so they knew what they were doing. Right. <laughs> could, could, yeah. help, could really help us um, do our do our best, and mm-hmm. so they came in for the couple days that we recorded, and 
we're wonderful to work with. Nice. Good. So it's not just, you know, a mom and pop kind of thing. No, it wasn't. <laughs> the real thing. And I mean, I mean, we know the work of the Montfort music. Um, they do, they do high, very good quality work. Now, I can't let you go without asking you about your Facebook page because when I talk to people about social networking, I actually talk about the, <laughs> about you guys. Because, oh, okay. I mean, in terms of just promoting vocations, mm-hmm. I mean, you have so many, it looks like so many new postulants and new novices and you're always posting their photos and highlighting them and I think it's just a great, very clever way to promote vocations. Thank you. Um, so yeah, I mean, who says that there aren't any vocations? So I mean, I know, God's, God's very generous. So how, if there are young women listening right now, how can they find out more? Can you, can you put in a well, little plug for them? Sure, well I would say they could definitely check out our Facebook page. Um, also, they could go to our website, just sistersofmary.org. Right. And that's probably where they would get um, the real, like a really deeper understanding of the community. They get they kind of snapshot, you know, in the nature of Facebook. But um, mm-hmm. there's much more to read and on the on the website. And also there, they could they could um, if they're interested in coming and visiting us, we have retreats three times a year. Next one is next month, but it's already um, <laughs> overbooked. It's, it's stopped at one, 180. But but they could come at another time. Um, wow. They could they could do that. But probably I mean it's really through the internet is one of the best ways to connect and then mm-hmm. to come pay us a visit in person at the retreat in Ann Arbor, mm-hmm. in Michigan. That's great. I mean that's that's great. So you're sold out. I guess. <laughs> I know. There's a waiting list. If anybody's out there, there's a. <laughs> You no. can always get on the waiting list. So. You can always, that's, that's great. <laughs> start looking towards the next one. Get on that list. That's great. Well, yeah. sisters, thank you very much for, for speaking to us today and, and for the great work you're doing, not just in vocations, <laughs> but um, with your music. And, and I know that you guys are involved in a lot of uh, teaching ministry and, and, uh, and other work around the, the country in the United States. So thank you for that. Well, thank you very much. The Dominican Sisters of Mary, Mother of the Eucharist, were founded 16 years ago and currently have 110 sisters living in the community. And when they are not chanting, praying, or composing music of their own, they run teaching missions, which they have in schools all over the United States. They follow the uh, 13th century footsteps of St. Dominic, while very much engaging in the modern world. And their mother house is in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and right now they're in the process of raising funds to construct a new priory in Texas. And you can learn more about them or you can also purchase the album Mater Eucharistie at their website sistersofmary.org or as you heard you can also look for them on Facebook. So here they are now with Tedeum from that new album.
We're listening to the Dominican Sisters of Mary, Mother of the Eucharist with Tedeum from their new and first album, Mater Eucharistie. And that concludes this special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. Remember to visit our website, saltandlighttv.org radio, and also look for us on Facebook. Thank you for listening. I'm Deacon Pedro. <laughs>